Hello, this is Brian McCormick. Welcome to another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from the resource for leaders, leadernetwork.org. Our National Leader of the Month is Jim McEachern. Jim is an amazing leader who is a senior executive officer and board member of the Tom James Company. Over a 30-plus year span from the late 1960s to the late 90s, Jim helped lead the company from 165000 in annual sales to sales over $247 million. Along with Bill Glass, he is the co-author of the book Plan to Win. There is much wisdom that can be found in the insights of this remarkable leader. Enjoy the interview I conducted with our honored leader, Jim McEachern, about the lessons he has learned from his life experiences and his thoughts on leadership. As I was reading about your the, the chapter from the book that you had sent, I noticed you had talked about the importance of your goal-setting system and yes. how that was a, a pivotal thing for you in your life in terms of your own development. Could you talk a little bit more about your goal-setting system? Yes. The ideas came at first. It came entirely from a program that was called the Million Dollar Personal Success Plan. And uh, it was developed by Paul J. Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R. Okay. And he has a organization called Success Motivation Institute. Now, at the time I first got a copy of that, I was uh, approaching 32 years of age, and my life was not going anywhere near like what I had anticipated it would be. Okay. So I was really ready and open to learn from uh, people who were successful or had been successful and uh, as you read Spencer Hayes was a big influence on me when I started to work with him Right. just before I was 30 years old and then when about two years later he gave me a copy of this million dollar personal success plan and uh Two things happened in my mind. One is I assumed that it must really be good if he had recommended it. And the second was that must be why Spencer is so successful. So I decided to use the ideas as if my life depended upon it. Okay. Do you still practice it today? Every day. Okay. Every November and December... I go back through and my all of my goals and set new goals for the coming year, but they're always in the context of my long-term goals. Sure. Uh, so it's not like I'm starting over at the beginning of each year with a whole new set of goals. A long time ago, I set a set of long-term goals, and so I'm just creating 
new short-term goals for the following year. But last year in March, I was having a physical, and they found that I had uh, mass in my chest that shouldn't be there. So in April, I found out I had cancer. And uh, the first few days, I was... Uh, I didn't think of much else, and I was terrified and sad and all those things. Sure. But after about three days, I made it my goal to learn everything I could about how to get rid of it. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that it would have been possible that uh, maybe I would have not ever figured out how to get rid of it, but uh, I I devoted myself for about three weeks to uh, coming up with the best uh, information I could to get rid of the cancer, and I ended up doing surgery and the doctor who did the surgery is one of the best in the world. He's done numerous heart transplants and heart-lung transplants. Okay. And then in September and October of last year, I had radiation treatments, 30 of them in six weeks. Oh, but wow. as of uh, about six or seven weeks ago, I had a follow-up exam, and they couldn't find any cancer cells. Wow. So... Uh, that, uh, of course, was not part of my long-term goals, but it became a high-priority short-term goal. Oh, sure. When you think about some of your goals that you've had throughout your life, are there a couple you could share where these were some of the ones that you were really proudest of achieving? And, and I don't know, is there one that you have not yet achieved, for example? I mean, obviously maybe not all the ones you've set this year, but are there any other ones from the past that maybe that you, you, you still hope to achieve as well? Well, in terms of the business goals, interestingly enough, the very first business goal I set was to help build Tom James to $100 million. And that we were only a $165,000 company at that time. So we had to get 588 times bigger than we were. Wow. No. Uh, we, we grew every single year for the next 25 years and reached 100 million. But then when we reached 100 million, I said, or before we actually reached 100 million, I changed the goal to 200 million. It only took four more years to get to two hundred million. Wow! And then, in the following year, uh, which was my last year as the CEO and chairman of the board of Tom James, we reached two hundred forty-seven million. That's amazing. Uh, so, I'm very proud of the fact that we reached the goals. I'm very proud of the fact that we grew uh, every single year for the entire uh, 
uh, actually from 67 through 98, I was the primary day-to-day decision maker. Wow. So for 30 straight years, we had growth. And I'm very proud of the fact that a large number of people developed big incomes and became uh, wealthy, including quite a few millionaires. In about 24 days, my wife and I will have been married 49 years, but I set a goal uh, not the first when we first got married because I was not doing goal setting back then, but about 10 years after we got married, I uh, decided I would try to make her the happiest woman in the world. Mm. And uh, she is. Wow. Or at least she says she is. <laughs> uh, well, that's a that's a terrific goal. And then with my kids, all of them tell me I'm a great daddy, and they write me often. I see them real often, but they also write me. Okay. And they have, in their letters to me, they tell me how terrific I am. And uh, I have one son and three daughters, and... uh, with my son, who's 44, in quite a few of the letters, he quotes from the, a song, Did You Ever Know That You're My Hero? Oh, okay. Oh, that's terrific. And then with my wife and my kids, I am trying to make sure that I'm positively using the Pygmalion concept at all times. Okay. Are you familiar with that? Yes, but maybe uh, you could talk a little bit about that um, for those who might not be as familiar. Okay, the, uh, the Pygmalion effect is basically the, the idea is that people tend to become the way that they're treated by others, especially if they see the others as some kind of authority figure. Sure. Uh, so I'll give you an example. When my my son was in the fourth grade, he told me that he wanted to join the wrestling team. We lived in Irving, Texas at the time. Okay. And I had never seen amateur wrestling. I didn't even know anything about what it was uh, what it was about. But anyway, I took him up to sign up for the wrestling team and as I would take him to practice and take him to matches or meets I would tell him always how he was improving and while he was still in the fourth grade I started telling him Mike before you finish elementary school you're going to be the state champion okay and uh that was fourth grade. I continued to tell him that in the fifth grade. And before the season of the sixth grade started, he said, Dad, you know what? I think I can be state champion this year. Oh, wow. So I knew that it was no longer just my idea that he had bought it and believed it. And so help me, he became the 
state Texas State Wrestling Amateur Wrestling Association champion in the 110 pound weight class. Wow! And so the next year, of course, he'd have to move up to the junior high. So in being a celebrator, he'd be one of the youngest. And so I said, start telling Mike before you finish elementary. I mean, junior high school, you're going to be state champion again. And you're going to pin everybody you wrestle for the whole season. Oh, wow. And uh, again, that happened as a ninth grader. He was a heavyweight, and so there was no limit to the size of the kids he wrestled. Okay. But he was, uh, he pinned everybody he wrestled. And only, there was the longest match he had that year was two minutes and 28 seconds. Oh, that's amazing. And in the state championship finals that year, he won in a minute and 58 seconds. Wow. And there was a big tournament in Oklahoma City that was uh, representing states pretty much all over what would be more or less the Big 12 territory. Okay. And so they had to best wrestlers by age groups from all over the Midwest and Southwest. And uh, he won that tournament in his weight class, and he pinned, he won the violence in 11 seconds. Wow. In, uh, with, I have 11 grandsons and five granddaughters. Okay. And again, we've used this with them, but my four oldest grandsons have all been all state in at least one sport. Wow. And one of them has been all state in two sports. Wow. Uh, and the fifth grandson plays football for a high school that has about 2,000 kids. And he was the most valuable player on his team last year. Okay. And he'll be a senior this coming year. But all of my grandchildren have excelled in whatever they do, including school. Hmm. Now, if I were to tell you about all of them, it would take quite a bit of time. But (laughs) uh, just to give you... Another example, there's a a guy in our company that has, he sold about 300, I think $25,000 worth of clothes last year. Okay. He's been with the company about five years. And I started visiting with him on the, or talking to him on the phone ever, you know, three or four times a year. And then... Uh, late January or February, I had him uh, come out and spend the day with me. And uh, when he went back, he had only 15 work days left in February, but he sold 60% more than he'd ever sold before. Wow. And he's averaging about 60% increase over his average of the entire year last year. Okay. 
So I am I'm very proud of the fact that the people that I work with tend to do better. Sure. Well, okay. And then this wasn't the goal. My goal was to be a make a difference at my alma mater, Howard Payne. But uh, on their 100th anniversary, 1989, they honored me as the distinguished alumnus. And uh, later they gave me the uh, an honorary doctorate in humanities and distinguished uh, service awards. So I've received all the awards they give. Wow. But that was not really a goal. My goal was simply to make a difference. And I've served 18 years on their board of trustees. Okay. Another thing that I enjoyed in your section from the book was it had in there about your definition of winning and yes. you said you had paraphrased a couple of definitions. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, you know, the the way I define success is success is the progressive realization of worthwhile predetermined goals. So if I'm making progress towards something, I can be successful when I set the goal to build Tom Jones to $100 million, if I had had to wait till we actually achieved the goal before I could have felt successful, I'm not sure that I could sustain that. Sure. But I could always measure exactly how we were doing against the same day or same week or same month from the previous year, and I could tell whether we was making progress from month to month or not. So even if, let's say, sales were growing or something else was improving, but there was not a a particular goal involved, how would I know that that was success? Sure. And, of course, there are several key words, but the, the from my perspective, the the key word is worthwhile. Okay. So in order for me to define something as worthwhile, it would have to also fit within my value system. Sure. And my beliefs, my uh, the things that are important to me and my relationship with God, my family and my friends and my co-workers, if it's not good for them or and our customers, of course, if it's not good for them, then it's not worthwhile. Okay. I'm not saying that everything I do is, certainly I get gratification from all that, and by making sure that other people do well, I get paid for it, but uh, money alone would not. Uh, give me satisfaction. Sure. You had talked about your greatest desire as 
to learn to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Could you talk a little bit about that desire and how that developed? Uh, well, in uh, I grew up living with my grandparents, and they believed in God, and they taught me about God. And so I agreed with their beliefs, but as I got older, I started thinking, how do I know that what they taught me is true? Okay. And so I have uh, read a great deal about what is described as apologetics. Are you familiar with that term? No. It it's, uh, basically means... Uh, being able to defend your beliefs based on some uh, genuine evidence. Okay. And so, uh, and then I've also studied a lot about uh, logic and science and that sort of thing in order that I could help some uh, genuine basis for feeling that what I believe is true. Okay. Sure. So, uh, you know, if logically the universe, I mean, or let's say, let me, logically either God has always existed or matter has always existed. It's not possible that there would have ever been nothing. Sure. Because if there had ever been nothing, then there could never be nothing because nothing gave bring something into existence. Sure. So it had to be God or matter. And uh, matter has no mind. So how could matter uh, cause something to become into existence? that obviously has design. Sure. And uh, so long before DNA uh, was discovered, I had rejected the Darwinian evolution as totally illogical. Gotcha. Now, the more that let's say is discovered about DNA, every living thing has a very complex internal description of what it's supposed to look like. Right. So all human beings have a unique design in their DNA, and all plants, all animals do, and uh the odds of that happening by chance is greater than if you could count all the atoms in the universe and say one in that much, many chances, then the odds would be still greater. Sure. So uh, I came to believe that God exists and created everything. And, uh, of course, 
I was taught that the Bible was true, but I came to believe it for other reasons as well, based on these other things I've, I've mentioned. And then I, if God is the creator of all things, and if he actually loves me as an individual and loves other people as individuals like I believe he does, then I want to know him and I want to honor him and I want to worship him and I want to be obedient to him. Sure. In the same way that I I want to be responsive in a positive way to other people who love me. You know, when my grandparents uh, were bringing me up, they didn't have to do what they did for me. But I want to honor their memory because they loved me. Right. And then uh, in terms of loving other people, I notice that I have always responded favorably to people that I knew who loved me and who acted in my best interest. Right. And I have always naturally been repelled by someone who tried to use me. Sure. So uh, I took the approach that if I act in the best interest, if I love other people and I act in their best interest by finding out what's important to them and helping them get what is important, then I will be doing the right thing for them. Could you talk a little bit about uh, some of the experiences that you had mentioned uh, that have made you the person you are today? You talked about selling books door-to-door, your service in the Army, marriage, fatherhood, your sales with the Tom James Company, leadership with the Tom James Company, and then being a grandfather. Could you talk a little bit about one or more of those um, experiences that have been vital to your development? Uh, yes, I'll start with. Uh, well, let me let me start with an experience I had. My grandfather frequently talked about his mother to me, and so she died fifty years before I was born, while my grandfather was still a boy. Okay. But he said favorable things about his mother, and so I had these a strong curiosity about my great-grandmother. And in uh, April of 1967, I went to southeast Alabama to see if I could find the place where she was buried. And I did find her headstone. And, of course, it said on there the year she was born, the year she died, and things like that. And while I was standing there, I realized since she died in 1885, and this was 1967, she'd been dead 82 years. Okay. Of course, that was easy to figure out. But the thing that made it a memorable moment for for me is I realized that even though she'd been dead 82 years, she was still influencing me. Ah. Not directly, but... The thing, the way she influenced her son, 
who was my grandfather, and he influenced me, was still influencing much of who I was. And so I realized, too, that even though uh, my wife had never even heard about her until, you know, except what a lot talked about, uh, she was influencing my wife, and she's influencing my kids. Sure. So I made a decision while I was still standing there that I wanted to live my life in a way that 82 years after I died, I would still be influencing people positively. Uh, so that was that was one of the most monumental influences and decisions that I ever made. But... Uh, in terms of selling books door to door, uh, I did that for eight summers and all. And uh, I estimate that I made about 10,000 sales presentations in eight summers. Wow. And uh, uh, I don't know many how many doors I knocked on that were... I didn't get to give my presentation, but maybe it's twenty-five or thirty thousand. Wow! And uh, so, in the course of that experience, I I learned uh, at least some things about not seeing people saying no as personal and. Again, uh, part of things is, you know, how you react is based on how you see things. But I would have never wanted to have to buy something from someone else just because I had to. You follow me? Sure. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to buy things from someone because I want them. Right. Or need them. Sure. And so I was able to over time, developed the attitude, I don't want anyone to buy anything from me unless they want it or need it. And in fact, the, when I was selling books, especially when I was 19 or 20, uh, I would have a few people tell me, well, I'll buy a book and help you out. And I said, no. You know, they knew I was a college student. And at the in the early years, and uh, I'd said, no, I don't sell books to, for people to help me out. I only want you to get this if you want it and need it. Okay. So uh, it gradually got where it was not personal with me if a person said no, and eventually. I didn't start out this way, but eventually I got where I told people if I felt like they were feeling some kind of pressure, I would say, now look, I don't want you to buy this unless you want it or need it. Sure. If you want it and if you think it'll be beneficial to you, buy it. If you, you don't want it or you don't need it, you won't hurt my feelings if you say no. Right, sure. So what I did is I took the pressure off of them, and that actually made it easier for them to buy as well because it's hard for people to make decisions when they're feeling pressure. 
definitely. And another thing about selling books door to door and uh, uh, making at least ten thousand sales presentations is I feel like I learned to read people pretty quickly. Oh. Not at the beginning, but eventually I got where I could know where they were. I was wasting my time and theirs in the first few minutes. Okay. So, uh, not too long after Tom James had started, I set a rule for myself that if they weren't, we weren't making some kind of positive connection in the first seven minutes, I would just thank them for their time and leave. Oh, okay. Because I didn't want to be wasting my time or theirs. Sure. Well, I I could talk all day about being a husband or a father or grandfather, but, and again, I won't say that this was my view when I uh, first got married. When I first got married, I married her because I liked her and she was beautiful. Sure. And I wanted to be with her. As... Uh, Time went along. I it became a whole lot deeper and more meaningful than that. And her well-being and her happiness and her satisfaction and uh, became a really high priority for me. So for a long time, when I before I leave the house in the mornings. I tried to do something to make her feel really, really special. Oh, wow. And even the first moment I see her each morning, I say something positive to her about how fortunate I am or how beautiful she is or how much I love kissing her beautiful lips. And and then when I leave the house, I never leave without kissing her and telling her how how much I, how happy I am about being married to her. And then I write her uh, letters, and I mail them at the post office because she likes to get them in the mail better than me just bring them. Sure. And then on the way home, for many, many years, I've had a spot that I would designate to stop thinking about what I'd done that day and start thinking about what I'll do when I get home. Oh, wow. Well, that's a great piece of advice right there. Now, when I turn on the Midlothian Parkway, which is about a, a mile and a quarter or a mile and a half from our house, that becomes a, a reminder to me to stop thinking about anything else and start thinking about what I'll say to her when I get home. Wow. But... Sometimes when I'm leaving the house, I'll go get in the car and I'll wave at her and blow kisses to her and I'll start down the driveway and then I'll back up and get out of the car and run in and kiss her again. <laughs> this is all true. <laughs> well, that's great. Huh? Oh, I should try that one with my wife. <laughs> She might, if you haven't been doing it, she might wonder at first what you've been up to. But. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's very true. 
<laughs> one time there was uh, we had some young people at our house, and the he asked me afterward, "How do you get your wife to do all the things you want her to do?" And I said, "Well, that's really a good question because the first few years was." Married, I tried to get her to do what I wanted to, what I wanted to do, and she wouldn't do it. But then I started trying to make her the happiest woman on earth, and ever since she's been doing what I wanted her to do. Oh wow! Without me even asking. Sure. What about if you had to identify the the place in the world that you either most like to visit? Or it also could be a place that you haven't been that you would like to visit. Uh, well, we've been to every state in the U.S. and uh, to quite a few parts of Mexico and Canada and a total of 20 nations. Wow. But uh, I think the single most... Uh, beautiful and enjoyable place my wife and ever went, and I ever went was to Banff in the Canadian Rockies. Okay. Are you? It's about a hundred miles west of Calgary. Uh, I haven't been there myself. I have some friends that that went. I think a year or two ago, and and. I mean, just raved about it, but I, I have not yet been there my myself. The highway from Banff to Jasper is the most awesome drive you could ever make. Oh, really? Uh, one of the most pleasurable trips we ever took was we flew from Dallas to, to Zurich and from Zurich to Copenhagen. And then we boarded a ship and went from Copenhagen to Stockholm to uh, Helsinki, uh, Finland to St. Petersburg, Russia. Oh, wow. Tallinn, Estonia, and then Gdansk, Poland. And uh, I can't remember the name in Ger the port in Germany, but there was a port in Germany where... Uh, we stopped, and I went into Berlin, and then we got off the ship. I don't remember for sure. It was either in another place in Switzerland, or maybe we got off in Copenhagen again. But then after we got off the ship, we went to Oslo, Norway for a week. Oh, okay. But that was a awesome trip. Oh, I bet. Ooh. And one of our favorite trips we started in Oslo I mean in Copenhagen and went through England and Scotland and Ireland and Iceland and Greenland and Newfoundland and back to New York that was about a 16 day cruise wow what about your most admired leader in the whole world I would say Billy Graham and Winston Churchill. Okay. In terms of the leader who's influenced me the most uh, directly, it would be Spencer Hayes. Okay. 
How about your advice to aspiring leaders? I, I think I would, if I just could tell them like one sentence, sure. I would say read the seven habits of highly effective people and read it again over and over again and master all seven habits and apply them all the time. Okay. I don't know if you're aware, but we're actually our current leader of the month is uh, Stephen Covey. So Good. Well, I have great admiration for him. Okay. Have you got a copy of The Eighth Habit? You know, I actually I haven't yet because he was mentioning that he needed to send me one of those because I, I haven't read that. I've read The Seven Habits many times, but I have not yet read The Eighth Habit. Well, in the... In the hardback copy of the Eighth Habit, there's a DVD. Okay. And it has 16 inspirational films. They're all just short, and uh, part of them are clips from uh, movies. Okay. Like Helen Keller. Okay, sure. The, the, the title of that film clip is Teacher, and there's one about Charles Dickens. Discovery of a character. Okay. Was, I think it was a clip from an old movie. There's a more recent movie made about Charles Dickens, but I like that old one. Okay. And then uh, there's one, the title of it is Big Rocks, and okay. you've got to see it because it's, it. what it's all about, it it shows how you got to put your priorities in first before you let your time fill up with just stuff. But it demonstrates so well. I I won't tell you how you know the whole story about it, but it's it's awesome. Okay. Yeah, you know, and I I actually do remember that example from the book because I think that came up in the seven seven habits book that the big rocks. I used to teach that in in a class of mine, where I'd bring out a coffee can and we'd take different elements in the room and try to draw a, a parallel with the students of, you know, trying to get those big things into that coffee can before we filled it with all the the little pebbles. So um, that sounds great if that's on that DVD. He has a an audience of. I can't tell exactly how many people are in the audience, but he has a lady that tries to fit all the rocks in where it's already filled up with the little BB-like things right. that fill up her life. He, but hmm. at first she can't fit them in, and she tries and does everything she thinks of. Then he says, you can work from a different paradigm. In fact, you can do anything you want to in she seems to get it. Oh, well, I can put the big rocks in first. And she <laughs> does. And then she pours the those little baby type things in, and they, you know, fill in between the crevices and so forth. Right. What are. I'm, go ahead. I'm going to try to get a copy of the bucket and those things and use it at our meetings because oh. it's so good. Right, definitely. 
you start to ask something else. I'm oh, sorry. sure. What What are the traits that you consider most important in a leader? Gratitude. How do you define effective leadership? What is it, What does effective leadership look like to you? Well, I'm going to say an effective leader is one who can keep the organization, in our case, I would say keep the organization growing in people, growing in sales, and growing in profits. Okay. What do you think are the qualities that go into someone who can do those things? I think that it's impossible to do those things unless you first have a vision and then set specific goals that relate to it. I would include habits of where you're doing the right things in the right order, the right way. Sure. And I would include the development of skills, especially people skills. Okay. I would include self-image, people who have to see themselves as being able to do it. And I would include attitude. Okay. If you had to identify a dream of yours, what would that be? Well, I have a lot of dreams, and the single most important is that all my family and all my friends will uh, have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Okay. That was my number one. Sure. What about if you had to share a story about yourself, is there anything in terms of a metaphor or an analogy about yourself that you think could encapsulate what you are all about? I'm going to say like a flowing river. Okay. You know, the Dead Sea is dead because water flows into it, but none flows out. Sure. And so all these minerals accumulate and salt and so forth. Right. And the water evaporates, but a flowing river tends, even if there was, let's say, some things that you wouldn't want to walk in the water uh, being coming in upstream. If it can flow enough, it, the, the, the impurities tend to be filtered out, I guess. I'm not sure exactly the process, but flowing water is good for everything in it. It's refreshing. Like if you walk into a river that's flowing. So that's how I would want to be seen. Okay. Trying to pick an analogy or metaphor. Oh, that's terrific. What would you say that organizations do that either encourages or stifles leadership? A word or a phrase that could you use to encourage people is, that's a great idea. I wish I'd thought of that. Okay. Tell me more. Okay. Let's say something that stifles 
we've already tried that and that didn't work. Oh, uh, sure. Where'd you come up with that stupid idea? <laughs> that certainly doesn't promote <laughs> getting people involved. <laughs> oh, man. But when you, when a person tells you something, you, I mean, you can't use it with every idea with the same verse over and over again, but you can say something like, you know, that's a great idea. I wish I'd have thought of that. Tell me more. Sure. You're, you are saying, you're in complimenting the person. You're, you're getting them, uh, you're saying it's good enough idea. You wish that I'd have thought it been a long time ago in fact, and right. tell me more that encourages them to develop the idea. Sure. Okay. Great. What about the best training programs that exist for leaders? Are there any training programs you are aware of that you recommend? Uh, the best one that I know about, I think they're still operating, but it was a guy named Stephen. No, it's, he used the initial W. Stephen Brown. Okay. And his organization was called the Fortune Group. And they were headquartered in Atlanta now. Okay. He's since retired and moved to Florida. And I haven't kept up with him lately, so. But he wrote a book called 13 Fatal Errors Managers Make and How You Can Avoid Them. Oh, okay. And he had a a training course that was basically covering the same thing as in that book. Okay. Okay. The course was really good, and I think he was right on. Well, thank you so much for your time, and, I'm, and I was honored that you picked me to talk to. Well, thank you. And I'll look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you, Brian. Okay. This concludes this month's podcast with National Leader of the Month, Jim McEachern. Come back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from LeaderNetwork.org.